Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Mental Jiu-Jitsu Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan, but you can call me Mirth, and I hope that you enjoy your stay while you're here. In this episode, I am joined by one of my favorite musicians on the planet, Braxton Cook. One of my favorite songs from Braxton is the record No Doubt, which I listen to almost religiously at a particularly difficult time where I struggle to determine a direction to move forward in. At that time, I was torn by what seemed to be a dichotomy, which as time revealed itself to be false, between choosing a simple life, quote unquote, and the pursuit of my ambitions. Now, it's kind of strange for me as a host to reveal what feels so intimate as though it's important to you, the listener, but I think that context is one that drives home one of the takeaways from this conversation. For me, listening to Braxton share the context of the origins of his music making process makes it that much more rich and engaging. After all, music is an art, a craft really, that is embedded in every culture. And among many, many other things, it's a healing force. So whether you're a musician or not, I hope that you'll enjoy this conversation as Braxton shares his thoughts on what it means to make music, especially in these troubling times, using challenge for growth, how his personal relationships have helped him and vice versa, underrated artists, misconceptions about musicians, and among other things, food, and why he dislikes condiments, especially mayo. You can follow Braxton on Instagram at Braxton underscore cook, or go to braxtoncook.com to learn more about him and his music. Now, I had a great time recording this episode, and I hope that you feel that energy as you listen. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with the phenom himself, Braxton Cook. Welcome back to the Mental Jiu-Jitsu Podcast. I'm joined by the phenom himself, Braxton Cook. Blah, blah. I wish I had sound effects that I could play right now. But no, I... I just put that app on my phone. Let's see if I can find it. Where is that thing? Oh, see. You have I'm a like, sound effect app on your phone? Organized to a fault. Because I'm like, I put definitely put the app on there. But then it's like, what folder? Did I put it in music because it makes a sound? I did. I did. Play it. Play it. I know. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> yeah, man. It's, it's, a, it's a pleasure, bro. It's a pleasure to be here, man. Well, thank you for being being on here with me, man. Um, and for those who don't know about the phenom himself, Braxton Cook, could you give a brief introduction to what you do? Sure. Uh, I am a musician, an alto saxophonist, um, I guess multi-instrumentalist at this point. Um but yeah, rooted in, in the j- tradition of jazz, you know, but the music that I make now, I think incorporates all different styles of music that kind of fall under this umbrella of what I would call like black American music, soul music. Um, I've grown up listening to gospel, grown up listening to R&B, growing up studying jazz. And like, I went to Juilliard to go study jazz saxophone in particular. And then, you know, since graduating in 2015, just kind of putting all of my influences together into a sound that I can call something I'm, I'm proud of, you know what I mean? And um, yeah. Uh, oh yeah, that's what I should touch on that. I'm also, I've moved around a lot, but I'm originally from Maryland, DC area, then moved to New York, lived in Harlem for four, five, for like five years. Um, and then made my way out here to Los Angeles. And I've been here since August. It's been a cool. rich, rich life experience, man. Man, that is. Well, I do want to do want to hop on this, which is um, 
last year and a few months back, you got married. So congratulations to that, Thank even you. though it's been some time now. Yeah, September 21st. <laughs> to the indomitable Shea, you know, Princeton yes. graduate, intersection, an intersectional uh, professor, I believe. Is that is that correct? Yeah, well, yeah, she's in the political science department here at LMU. Yeah, and she's uh, teaching an empirical data course. But yeah, to, uh, with respect to like what she studied when she was in Princeton, absolutely intersectionality, where uh, race and gender, uh, with respect to political. That's really awesome to hear because as a as an artist, right? I think um, there's this uh, Charlie Parker quote, which is coincidentally on your website, right? If you don't live it, it won't come out of your horn, right? And I think. Um, a lot of the times musicians, artists in particular, like to focus on the craft of what they do, right? Like the technical aspect of it. Um, mm -hmm. But in terms of infusing that flavor into your music, how has um, your relationship with her, your, your marriage particularly influenced your music? Oh man, so many ways, so many ways. We've been together eight years and I've been, um, I guess, a professional touring artist for that same amount of time. Pretty much, I moved to New York, mm. uh, 20 years old, because I was a transfer student, did two years at Georgetown. So I moved to New York at like 20. Um, my next year, I, at 21, um, this is 2012, I think, I meet Christian Scott, start touring at the same, you know, like a month before that, I meet Shea, you know, at Columbia University at a party, a 1990 mm. party. Mm. and ever since then has been a constant, you know, um, just, I would say like, just search for a perfect balance. And, and, you know, that's, I've learned a lot in the pursuit of that, but, uh, but yeah, things have always been like, how much energy do I put into this, into, into work? How much energy do I put into school? And then how much energy do I put into my relationship? And mm -hmm. trying to strike that balance has always been, while also just growing up as a, you know, from an adolescent into a young adult into like a full on, like, you know, professional. Full on, full on professional like, yeah, adult. Like, like, yeah, like your brain isn't even fully formed. I'm 20, 21 years old and I'm trying to balance all these things. And um, yeah, it isn't easy, you know, definitely, definitely wasn't easy, but I like that, I guess. I, I like growth. I like trying to better understand myself better. Um, yeah, just become a better human being and Shay has allowed me to do that and and, and not even allow like push me in certain ways you know what I mean mm. uh, to, to be that um and I mean there are times I think we may get into this later but like all these moments of self-doubt you know as it relates to maybe when I was in school and wanting to just leave and just being like all right I'm mm. done you know and then help and her helping me push me to to continue um to you know, give you that, to give you the kind of um, be a sounding board with my ideas. You know what I mean, like my little therapist in those moments. You know what I mean, like to have that emotional, to have like a partner with that kind of obviously the the intellectual capability, but also just the emotional availability to be able to be there for you for the, in those moments. You know, mm. and for you to be, be that for her, because you know, shortly thereafter, you know, finally I finished school, I started talking with Christian, and things started opening up. Um, as far as I don't feel like restricted having to meet with the Dean so I can miss school to go on tour, you know, like it used to be crazy. <laughs> yeah. I had to redo hell, hella classes, man. I had to redo ear training like three times, but yeah, you know, it's like, once that was done, I was like really freed up in a lot of ways. And then 
she starts her PhD and now she starts going through this institutional kind of thing I'm, I was dealing with, with just that self-doubt, um, being one of the few black people in these white spaces and not losing yourself in that, you know, and a lot of things she, she helped push me on, you know, I was then able to be that for her during those periods, this long mm -hmm. five year. And, you know, she did a PhD in five years. Most people don't even do that, you know, but to, to help her through those, those ups and downs when yeah. you start losing faith in your ideas and this dissertation, this thing you're working on for so long that, you know, that's, that's super intensive. So it's like, we've been able to be that for each other and it's been super, super fruitful. I, I um, love, I love hearing that. I, I love hearing how reciprocal the relationship has been for both of you. Right. And not only is she helping you, but you're doing your best to be a better person for her as well. Not only within the scope of your music and being able to trust yourself more and conquer that self-doubt, um, yeah. but in mutually, mutual respect. I'm glad you, you said that. That's exactly right. It's always been that, like, that's each other's intentions, man. I think that's something that, um, you know, a lot of people to like to be a bit more secretive about their personal life, which I understand. You know, but I think these positive uh, role models, especially for, you know, relationships and being able to create that kind of balance, right? Because people do feel that sense of like, oh, I can't give you too much energy because I'm focusing on my professional life or I can't uh, focus on this as much because I'm focused on you and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but finding somebody who is able to support you in such a powerful and positive way is second to none. <laughs> Second to none at the end of the day. It, it is. It really is. Someone that push you, check you, you know, also just like someone to just like have fun with, connect with. And like, I don't know, for us, we just we're lucky in that. Like, I just feel like we knew that off jump and not a lot of 21 year olds do. And when they do meet it, they like they 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 pass it up. I feel like, you know, for other pursuits. Yeah, they, 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 there, are, there are certain stops on the way that you kind of get distracted by, but you chose to go for the stay. Yeah, definitely remember those periods of time, for sure, where you just know, like, oh, this is lifelong. And this is... Uh, it's a commitment, just like... It's you, a commitment, you, man. Yeah. yeah, and like when I've lived that with my instrument for so long, you know, from 15, 15 years old, I know what, that, what that's like, you know, that at least how it relates, as it relates to, you know, saxophone and, and music. I remember... It, being soft like sophomore year and really wanting to be like i don't know i don't know if i'm gonna finish this program i don't know if i still want to do this music thing mm. and 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 going through uh, some of those and that was like right around that like seven years of like really kind of playing saxophone you know 15 so yeah around 22 and just being like ah oh, this is a lot i don't know if i can you know what i mean but but yeah work, working through the those moments musically and art artistically and and seeing through a commitment to the other side i was like oh man once i see done that myself i was like okay i see how this works you know it's the act the everyday actions the commitment um that extend like this feeling of euphoric love and all that stuff that's like super float like lovey-dovey in the beginning mm. and some of those things start to just like die down a little bit as a like i'm speaking more so like with saxophone like when i started just kind of hitting burnout I, when I worked through that stuff and I was like, oh man, I mm. found the other side of this. I found like the peace and the spiritual st stuff in my, in the practice of doing everything. And, and 
I just tapped into a whole other thing, bro. I tapped into a whole other <laughs> thing. You tapped into it. You went Super Saiyan with the music, you know? Yeah. Instead of hearing this, this part of my life, I can do it here. I can do it here. I can do it here. I get it. You know? that, that is awesome, man. I think about uh, one of your songs, No Doubt, as a, as a clear example of that. To me, that's one of my favorite songs that you've, you've put out. And I, every time I listen to that as a dancer, what fascinates me about that song and, and the other works that you've done is how you, are, you manage to infuse your personal touch onto that. And there's something that in what you said that I think is really important for people to, to recognize, which is you said that you're one of the few Black people at a predominantly white institution, a PWI, correct? Mm -hmm. And there's this kind of, there's this troubling idea uh, that for whatever reason, um, especially for artists, uh, that art should somehow be apolitical or asocial or devoid of some kind of critique or commentary on the, on the social context that the person is in, right? But you're no stranger to putting that into your music as an example with him, uh, mm -hmm. as an example of the song. Yeah. You know, as a as a black artist in the year of 2020, mm -hmm. I, I, again referring back to that Charlie Parker quote, "If you don't live it, you won't come out of your horn." What is it like to create art now, if I may ask? And what do you find challenging uh, in that process now, as you practice, as you try to come up with a way uh, to make more music? Uh, for for me, music is. In my music, I should say, no, not even like when I go to listen to music, I think I want to feel better because the world sometimes is just like a lot, mm. you know? Yeah. So I, by, you know, it's like when I go hear something or, I, or I'm, a, I'm a, I'll go to church or something, it's like, I want to leave feeling transcended and, and I want to feel lifted and I want to feel better, um, you know, or I want to be content. I want, I want something that's going to make me think and and like we said, like internally deal with some of those, I don't know, those things to become a better person. Remember I was saying that earlier, it's like, I like that betterment in, in some way, you yeah. know? Like where I started today, I wanna to feel a little bit better. 30 seconds later, I heard something. So when I came to like actually making my own music, I knew those were the reasons I went to music in the first place. It was a healing thing, it's a cathartic thing, it's a therapy thing for me. It's never really been so much about just like, I don't know, turning up or anything too self-destructive for me like that was that's not why why what i when i throw on a playlist you can be like dang this is all mad chill stuff or like super heavy inspirational stuff you know what i mean but like that's yeah. what i like to digest man mm. like in general in a lot of different mediums same with films i love i'm, I'm a document documentary dude or period stuff i like to learn something you know i want to walk away yeah. like, dang, I'm, you know what i'm saying yeah uh, so yeah, in any medium, really, like that's what I'm. I, I I enjoy getting something that I feel like, all right, I'm I'm learning from this. I'm you're getting, but you're you're getting better because of it. You're feeling better yeah, because. Yeah, that's what I like to digest, so that hopefully when I start to make something and put things out in the world, that's other people get that feeling. You know, other people are getting something from it. So, um, yeah, I mean, as it relates to like, how does it feel to be an artist in 2020? Um, I hope people feel get a lot of healing because it's just a lot going on right now. You know, yeah. so I hope people can glean that from my music or feel better or for a moment can escape from whatever it is going on, but also feel like they're inspired to maybe do something or to have mm. this conversation or think about this thing they didn't feel comfortable 
dealt like dealing with or something like that you know what i mean yeah um i hope it not only just makes you feel better and escapes but like you feel inspired on you know at least one song off the record hopefully you know like him is one of those ones i think in our live set that's like that where i feel like we end our set with it and people feel like damn that last one though that really hit me and i feel like i want to go i don't know like it hits it hits for sure like even just the structure of the song like the way that we we constructed it it it, it uh it hits you in a way. It's very drum heavy. Um yeah. with these breaks and where everyone very percussive. Yeah, real percussive. Thank you. That's the word I'm looking for, my bro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, coming, I'm trying to come I'm through. Musician, bro. <laughs> I'm not a musician, but I'm trying to come through. I I did my oh, best. I see you. I see you. That's exactly it. So um yeah, that's one of those tunes where I feel like, yeah, definitely it it it, it has the musical elements that kind of lead to that feeling of waking people up and inspiring people to want to just think about something or do something and uh yeah that's what i like man so i want to write more in that realm and after a year like we've had uh george floyd brianna taylor how many you know it's bruh it's it's entirely too much you know when when you really think about it um politically coronavirus everything going on is it's it's a whirlwind the way that you're trying to put that feeling into the music, to craft it, to, to create the, uh, evoke that kind of feeling into people is what is one of something that I think is, is really powerful, right? Um, where we can kind of get bogged down by all of the, um, mm -hmm. it's, it's it, like you said, in simple terms, it's just too much. And for the same reasons why you got into music are the same reasons why you're creating today. Um, and I, I find that deeply inspiring not only because it leads to direct action that will help somebody, an individual, whoever they are, um, mm -hmm. whether they're, you know, here in the States or somewhere out in, you know, Switzerland or Taiwan or whatever, yeah. uh, to affect some kind of change in their locality. And then from their locality onto something perhaps a bit more macro as well. I think that's, when you, when you think about the way that you construct that music, and trying to make people feel better and create that good feeling again, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. What what challenges occur when you when you make that music? And not in terms of like the self-doubt, like, will this work? But in terms of the craft, right? Where you're like, mm, that doesn't sound right, or that sounds good, but this doesn't feel good here in this particular point. You know, could you go over that process a little bit? Yeah, for sure. Um... Well, another thing I want to add first too is that it's it's also each one of these projects are just snapshots of my life and like very much like a journal of where I am at this point in time. So there is that um, element to it. But uh, specifically to your question, like what challenges I hit? Oh, bro, so many. So like um, <laughs> production-wise, you know, like limitations almost in in skill set and 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 also in trying to and trying to specifically put on paper or create demos of what it is I'm, I'm hearing. That's always gonna be a difficulty. I think with saxophone and as it relates to improvisation, I've gotten really good at that for sure. Like I want the blues and I can improvise and I can play what I hear and think. But then when it comes to creating a song, it's like we have bass, drums, piano, guitar, whatever. You know, and that's like, like I'm expanding my skill set and been using this time to try and do that so that I can better just convey ideas. That's all I'm trying to do. I'm trying to go from here 
to something that's not in this world that's like you know a recording or whatever i'm trying you know what i mean yeah I'm yeah the, the 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 magic <laughs> magical sonic ooze if you yeah, wanted to say man. when it, as it relates to saxophone that's become easy now it's like how do i do this with a full song and that's constantly been the a struggle i would say so specifically it could be like yeah a guitar idea and i'm like all right i want to learn guitar better i want to un better understand this instrument so i can convey what it is i want my guitars to do same with rhythm same with drums same with bass and i'm trying to just and maybe it's like uh the producer mindset i guess is is the piece that the skill that i'm i'm trying to hone in on and refine and i found as a horn player and and not to just shit on horn players, but like mm -hmm. I would I would say that rhythm section players by nature sometimes are just like from the beginning are thinking a lot more in the with regard to arrangement and production and like when do when does this instrument come in and what are the chords and are the hits on this beat and the horn player just plays on top of it since we you know that's kind of what it's always been like um, mm -hmm. and I've been finding you know like I just need to refine the choices that I'm making. I want I want more specificity and, and understanding behind all the choices that I make um, as a songwriter. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's been a challenge, I think, in production wise, to to yeah, production. be able to not necessarily yeah. learn all the instruments, but to learn where they fit in the in the That's puzzle. It. That's it, man. I want to pay more attention to that. Not just like pick up my saxophone and jam on top of every, what everyone else is doing, but understand what is happening and why everything feels good. Mm. why the bass feels good you know what i mean like really be able to step into each role and and understand its function to better understand the whole you know yeah when, when i when i think about the genesis of your work right when you first started releasing your own music and then to now um you released fire sign back in what was it april march, march this year march this year right mm -hmm. and, I, and i think about that journey you touched on it right before the call too right where uh, you, you were going off about how, you know, you started off as a jazz player, very strict, and then you started to infuse more, more, more genres and more influences, among which are there. There are so many influences that you could. It is hard to choose. You know, but to that topic. point, yeah, influences that have always been there. To be clear, and things I grew up on, so it became yeah. more of like in touch again with, like we said, the things that brought me to music with the, the roots. Yeah, I think that's 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 something that I think um, I, I want to touch on just a bit right there, which mm -hmm. is uh, there's that misconception, right, where your musical influences kind of go with you as you uh, continue making music. Right. And that goes for any field of your dancer or if you're an artist in another capacity. Right. Um, mm -hmm. But I have this theory that uh we don't necessarily change and become different people necessarily maybe maybe we become more of who we already are inside and it kind of kind of peels the onion layers you know um and what you just said there kind of speaks to that a little bit right where it's not it's not like these influences you're like oh you just heard this person one day and then you're like oh i want to try to incorporate what they do into my music it's like no you grew up on this this is this was always in the background how do i infuse more of that into the modern time or into the way that I want to pull it. Oh, man, that's it. That's it. <laughs> and then we have all of like in our upbringing and in the environment, we have all of these voices and gatekeepers and people sometimes that are going to, that can in, in the, get in the way of us just getting straight to that, of us just being 100% ourselves. And it could be a school that's, that makes you feel like 
oh, well, everyone is playing real modern jazz here. I, I, maybe I, this is what I need to be doing. Or everyone speaks in a certain way, or everyone is used to this style. Maybe this is what my peers are doing. This is, you know, and and and, 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 so and the struggle to try to fit in. Shapeless, shapeless. Yeah, exactly. And then it takes, uh, I think, to some degree, a bit of courage for sure. That's just like you said, just peel those things back and really get back in touch with the the inner thing that that really sparks you. Mm. And that's hard work, man, because we're so easily shaped by this, you know, what we see on, on our phones and by in our, in our environments. And and it's, it's a lot. It's a lot to yeah. push that stuff out and trust uh, what you have is uh, is enough. And I mean, to go off on that, the, the trusting aspect, right, mostly trusting yourself, um, but also being able to parse apart the opinions and the judgment and the advice and the counsel and the concerns of other people into your work. So here's a fun question for you. As I'm, you know, going through your journey for the last 20 years as a musician, you know, what is the worst advice you've heard ever, ever said to you or you've heard through the grapevine? Oh, man. <laughs> uh, the worst advice? Uh, man, it's probably too contextual. Like, I've probably heard somebody <laughs> say something to this particular student that was just like, that's not true. Um, <laughs> or what yeah. would you say is generally mis misleading, misleading people? Oh, oh, um, yeah, because it's not even worse. It's like my perspective changes. So, like, I've I've heard people like tell kids how to play over this chord or or tell them what to play in general. And in some contexts, I understand that as a in in a when you're young, having like training wheels and having very specific set of rules, it's sometimes easier for your brain to just understand it. But as I've gotten older and like just you know play more music, I'm like. There's a Miles quote, you can make any note work. And that's kind of true if the intention behind it is clear and and, mm. and felt, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's something that I feel like I can't tell a, a 10 year old that's trying to figure first figure out how to play, you know, or like this dance, it's like, you can do anything that you want over any song, over any note, over any chord, you know what I mean? It's like, but it takes years to really fully understand all the different options and fully hear it so that you get to a place where you can actually play whatever it is you want. And yeah. it sounds, yeah. sounds it's, it's kind of like the struggle that you're, you're talking about as a producer, right? Like, you know what a bass sounds like, you know what a drum sounds like, but how do you make it fit together, right? It's really difficult to tell a, tell a child that. Yeah, um, so they, I've just, I've overheard a lot of, I guess, people telling someone to do something where I'm just like, ah, that's not really true though. But, but sure, maybe that's what they need to hear right now. Yeah. So, I mean, I can't say it's the, I've heard like horrible, horrible advice, but I've definitely been in, and I've been in rooms too, though, where um, not so much from an instructor, but peers, where I've just been in collections of rooms where I'm just like, dang, they're just, they got it all wrong. You know, it could be like a collection of students talking about like, man, you know, this Bach thing, like this, this is how you got to play over whatever. It's like, you got to put this this voice leading or you got to play this harmony or like this is how you do it you know you want to do um on the saxophone like you want to like play your uh drop two voicings and stuff and you want to do it just like this and, like that's how you really and i'm like man nah that's some bullshit that's not true there are some <laughs> where uh people will kind of create like rules or whole ways of just be like this is the bible and i'm like well no that's not the bible that is a way of doing something it's it's 
it's a mistake when you take gospel instead of yeah. guidance, right? Or you create gospel instead of guidance for people. And I think that's um, something that a lot of people who teach um, have, have, they have their own journey where they go through that, right? Where you learn something and you think and you preach to other people like, oh, this is the right way. This is the only way to do stuff. And then you learn later on down the road, like, oh, God, what I said, it doesn't really apply actually as much as I thought it did. You know, but it just happened to me earlier, like, but like not, you know, not college days, but like, yeah, I was, I was for, I don't even want to say this term, but like a bebop, uh, <laughs> like, I mean, I, damn, it's 2020. Let me, let me chill. But that, there's like a derogatory term that, that sometimes put, um, on musicians that just are so by the book about rules and lines and, and, um, yeah, there was a period of time where I felt like when I was in high school, I was just a stickler about that. You were just like a textbook player. Yeah, well, yeah, it was just like, no, nah, man, Bird didn't play that. So, like, why would I do that? Or it's got to be just like this. It's got to be and like Cannonball. <laughs> yeah, man, I was probably just expediting my process. So I just cut, so I could, and I had blinders on, you know, cutting all the stuff out but the saxophone and, and but the lines and but the Omnibook. And that was just my way of learning super quick, you know, this particular style. And I was—I remember being super judgmental with my little brother, who's act, who's a great musician. Uh, doesn't really want to read music, does? But you know, that was our whole thing when we were younger. We're like a year apart, and then it was like, man, I was being an asshole, you know, uh, completely false. You know, it's like that's that's not true. You don't need to—you don't have to read. You can hear it too. You can play. You can do whatever you want. You know, and he's—he works with Solange Knowles. I think—he's uh, like our her MD or was mm. like pretty. He goes by the name Star Child for anyone that's interested. Wow. Um, Congratulations, yeah. Star Child. Yeah, Star Child, he's fire, man. I know. <laughs> the whole the whole Cook family is fire. That's what that is. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> you gotta give respect to everybody in the crew. But I think that's I, I mean it, it, it touches on something that I wanted to ask as well. And it kind of illustrates your your growth, not only as a musician, but as a person, right? Where you recognize that there are some things where uh, you said or did in the past that were wrong or not as mature or whatever it was, right? Um, when you reflect on that now, thinking about your relationship with your brother as an example, what are some things that you've said to other people, other musicians or taught to your students that now when you think about, you're like, I made a mistake that I, I shouldn't have said that or I shouldn't have said that at that time or taught that in that way. Is there anything that, that that comes to mind? Oh yeah, I mean, like, I mean, as recent as a couple of weeks, a couple of months ago, I was teaching a lesson, and it was a beginner beginner saxophone, but saxophone is, and I was kind of on this vibe, which is just super open, and like, well, there's, you know, and and in that context, in hindsight, I'm like, yeah, he needs he needs the training wheels, and it's like you need to you need rules because there's just too many variables right now. Yeah. You don't know how he's to put in your mouth to get the right tone. You don't know, do your cheeks puff out? Should they not? You need to hear, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, just so that you can get a decent sound and feel like you're making progress. So I, with res respect to that in my teaching, yeah, I'm, I gotta bet sometimes assess where they where the, they are and what it is they need and be able to get that quickly. So yeah, I was a little too, there is no wrong answer. There is no wrong anything with the with this particular beginner that didn't even know how to set the horn up. That yeah, I think when, when they don't have the vocabulary, when they don't have the map, it, it's really difficult to know where to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to a point where he was probably just completely overwhelmed. It was like, 
I don't know if I learned anything. <laughs> <laughs> you know well, I mean? like, yeah. It's like that was a one done lesson, you know. So in hindsight, I'm like, I should, he needs he needs something to tether himself to to grow first, and then we can then we can explore a little bit more. Learning learning the alphabet, right? Learning how to walk before you're able to run, and being able to. That's it. I kind of impose where I'm at right now with music on someone that wasn't even there yet, and it was just too much. I think that I mean it's it's super cool to to know that you're able to recognize that right and not impose your own philosophy and the, yeah. the own way you do music onto somebody that's else, but I, recognize I, them where they are. That's how I am when I walk into a room. Like I just I want to meet people where they're at. I want to be better at seeing where everyone's at. You know what I mean? And um, and in general, I yeah I like to try and pay attention to the to the the Braxton in the room, I would say, like, I try and see myself in people or see that shy kid or whatever and, and, and speak to them or, or bring them out of their shell. And like, yeah. that's you know what I'm saying. And I like, to, I, I think about that musically too. I try and speak to that person. Well, I mean, there's this beautiful story. Um, now that you mention it, there's a beautiful story about how you actually first got into the saxophone in the basement of your family. Oh, yeah. With, with your with your dad and there's a beautiful story here um but the question i want to ask you is you know if you look at that braxton from your vantage point now and let's say hypothetically speaking that young braxton in the basement just kind of popped up right next to you what's something that you would tell that young braxton oh man i would tell him one you're talking like right after playing the saxophone yeah, yeah. Right after playing the saxophone, oh, I, was, I told him yeah, how good he sounded. I encourage. <laughs> yeah, man. Pos positive affirmations work are a motivator for me. Mm. That, that, that part of my DNA. Some people may react the other way. Some people need, you know, fear under them to get. Or, or, or some people like to be told that they can't do something like. Uh... Do something exactly, you know, and that that's fine too. But you gotta know yourself. But that's that would have been that would have been it. I probably would have been playing saxophone earlier than eleven, you know. What I mean, because because I went yeah, I went six seven years after that, about six six years, yeah, without even really thinking about it. Mm. Yeah. And to and to think about you know how you would talk to yourself now or talk to your younger self now as the adult that you are, I think it's real cool that you were able to simplify it you sound good, man, you know, and, and give the give the encouragement that a child would need to continue to pursue, right, with a six, seven year lee leeway. What do you think you would be um, if you did have that leeway? How, how differently do you think your life would have changed as a result of that? I feel like it, everything might have just happened sooner, maybe it's possible. Well, I don't know. College and high school, it's like all that stuff is still the same time. So, uh, I don't know. I probably still would have done gone to done the same kind of things. But yeah, I mean, it would have been more hours, man. It's that it's really that simple. I would have put more hours in. I probably put in 10,000 hours in high school. Might have been at 15,000. And that that extra amount of practice that you get now as a result of that. Um, exactly. I think translates really well. That's right. <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> That's real. So yeah, it's like I don't think it'd be like completely life changing, but I, I'm like, yeah, I'd be better. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, what it, what 
and more hours. I think that's like, you know, learning a lot of skills and hours at a young age, at a critical age, like, you know, your brain is, is formed. And just absorbing that information. Yeah, your efficiency is as far as like learning a new skill. I mean, it's like learning a language. They say like, I don't know, after the age of, I just remember this in psychology, like 101, one time reading it. About it uh, was, this was, it, just, was this was this at Georgetown yeah, or Juilliard? Like, it's at Georgetown, man. I was like, yeah, with my professor, Rachel Barr. But I like psychology, at least like the beginning, like 101. And it was somewhere in that book just about like, I, like if you don't learn certain phonetic sounds by the age of like eight or nine or something, it's like, it's going to, I think it's with respect to like Mandarin, I think, because there's so many different tonal things. Yeah. Or like, it's just going to be exponentially harder to learn that language and to sound like fluent. And I was like, wow, that's wild. Yeah. You're going to have to work a lot, a lot, a lot more. Yeah. And, I, and to that point, like my wife, you know, she's black, just so you know, but she's fluent in Mandarin, went, studied abroad, like she, when she was at Columbia, uh, studied abroad in Beijing. She's pretty pretty good you know she says she can't write that much but she, she can still go to the nail shop or go wherever and she'd be she'd just be going in i'm like wow that's pretty awesome but <laughs> that's awesome it's, it's uh yeah it's it, it's studied and you can hear that with musicians sometimes too cats that like went to college and learned and there's like the studied kind of feel and then there's like cats that played at like nine ten years old in church and it's just like dang there's like a, na a natural kind of thing when I see like that kind of prodigious talent, the super young people that just, you know what I'm talking about? Like yeah. I, hear Atlanta, I hear Atlanta sometimes or whatever. It's just like that flute is like connected to your body. There isn't this like, I studied it. You know, she didn't you, you, you were born with it out of the womb is what you know, yeah, yeah, like there's like an HBO documentary with her and Tony Madruda and she's like eight years old. And I'm like, whoa. Yeah, it's a difference sometimes. You can just see it. I'm sure even with athletes, it's just like, yo, there's something completely. You like can you can tell when someone somebody started training as an adult versus when they have trained as a young kid. Yeah, you really can. Your body's getting formed to it. Your face and structures are getting are growing and shaping to this instrument. All types of things like that. So like, yeah, you can you can see it. So I don't know. Might have been way better to answer your question, but <laughs> uh, I mean it. it I, th I think that young Braxton would have been underrated for the first five years and then become who you are today. But in terms of your perspective on the landscape of musicians now, ex inclusive of jazz and basically any, any other genre, who are some people that you think are underrated or underappreciated in the game right now? Oh, man. I still think Christian Scott is... I, it's crazy he doesn't and not that I, I laud these you know the Grammys or the Emmys or any of those kind of like awards that but they're to, to some degree I'm just like bruh go ahead and just give him his Grammy this is nuts it's like 12 albums some have changed the whole scope of that style of music it's just like bruh go like that's that's long been over <laughs> to me um and you were too, and you toured with Christian too for a while. Yeah, yeah. Christian and Robert Glasper, both the same manager, good people. Um, and I feel like, yeah, like he's, I don't know. I feel like they could be, he could be in, in some of those conversations as well as just as much as Rob. I know it's different because it's like R&B, it's naturally going to have a little bit more of a popular lens to it. And, um, but yeah, I, I, th I think Christian is, is super dope, man. Super, super dope. When you were uh, on... Sorry, when, mm -hmm. when you're on tour, Christian, I don't want to take away too much from the question, uh, question but when you're on tour, uh, Christian, 
assuming that um, you know what you know now, would you have done anything differently on that tour? Oh man, there's so many of the tours just in general during that five year stretch. Yeah, during that five year stretch. Uh, I don't know, man. First year I was out there wilding, having fun. <laughs> started to settle into my thing. I started writing a little bit for the band and started with my mm -hmm. own thing. Oh man, I don't, I don't know. I think there were a period, a period near the end where like you can see on some of the live footage where I'm just like a little tired. Mm. I mean, a little, you know, you, you, ready to, you, you ready were, to you were working. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. There's, there, maybe there's some videos where I'm like, man, fix your face, Brax. That's crazy. Yeah. But, <laughs> But no, aside from that, no, no, nothing I, too, nothing too serious. Mm. No, nah, man, it's been a, it was a fruitful five years. Like I learned a lot that I learned so much in that band, you know, so much and so much from Christian and then just the being, be, being surrounded by in that environment, that environment. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's more to to that than just the band too. Yeah. Backstage at these festivals, the people you meet, conversations you have. Um, yeah, it's nuts. It's nuts. Um, super inspiring, super inspiring. He's like a, a older bro, you know, wouldn't change a thing, but back to the underrated artist question, you, you had some names in mind. Oh yeah. I mean, people that I think are pop like dope, but it could be bigger. Like, yeah, I think Emily King is awesome. I think she, she can get more love. She, she deserves her flowers. Nick Hakeem is pretty fire. I think Moses Sumney is a genius, um, bad dude, you know, uh, his record he just put out grave fire uh he deserves way more love i think he's pushing the back like the boundaries of these lines of of what it means to make r b and, and and pop music it's like it's it's just dope it's really it's art it's art you know he's an artist like through and through and i'm just like i want that to become more mainstream kind of how, like how solange solange's shit popped like crazy of course you know it's a knoll absolutely too. yeah but like like that was like that was cool to see some of that aesthetic and that feeling breakthrough it's a lot it's a little bit more of the alternative aesthetic and natural kind just how you know what i mean it's a different vibe and a different aesthetic than what we're used to seeing um in the r&b lens and i was like that was dope and i feel like moses is totally part of that as well and i'm just like i want to see moses go go off one day you know what i mean i heard him on a commercial which is dope and i heard emily king on commercial i want to see them Cause it's like, <laughs> look is important. They're, they, they, like, to me, I don't even know why I'm look, putting both of them in the same because they're different. But like, when I do look at them though, I'm like, yeah, there is an androgyny to it, to their style, to their vibe, and I think there's something special there. Like my record, somewhere in between, even, um, I remember I had a, somebody reach out to me that told me that that record in particular helped them transition. Wow, um, and I was like you know, that that's super powerful, but I think there is something there and something that can be, uh, there just needs to be more light, I think, to those spaces that exist in between that aren't necessarily hyper-masculine all the time and decked out in gold chains and whatever, and yeah. are always hyper-feminine and cool. And I, think I, I feel like that will always, you know, be that and that's fire too. But it's like, I would, I love to see artists that, that exist somewhere between and blur these lines whether it's sonically or it's visually or it's both or it's all of that and i want to see that lifted more and when and every once in a while there's a crack in the matrix and i feel like salon or somebody just goes just does something dope that's just like oh, okay 
this is fire. This isn't the same old thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I want more of it. Uh, yeah. Cause that's where I, I, that's where I feel like I, I exist. I literally am in between. I'm a, I'm a middle kid in my family, me and Brendan actually, mm. we're both dogs, four boys. And, uh, there's something, I don't know. There's something, there's something to that. There's something, there's something there. Yeah. Of not fitting in and, and pariah speaks to that. And, and yeah, a lot of, uh, it's a subtext in, under, under a lot of my music, even if it's a happy, if it, even if it's like a little love song, there's always like a, a bit of that, that existential. That, that, that undertone, right. Undertone of, of searching for belonging and place. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think that's, that's really cool to, to hear you talk about, you know, not only your own music, but what music you think is popping for you, <laughs> essentially. Right. That's really cool. And it fills in that gradient, right? Cause we tend to think of it in terms of this or that, as opposed to well, what's in between, you know, what's in the middle. Right. And I think, I think bringing clarity to that, I think will allow people to, you know, explore more or, or, or not feel like they have to conform to certain tastes because their friends do, um, or because the, someone said so, you know, but really to find something that sonically kind of, kind of tickles their ear, you know, with that, I think, uh, you also deserve your flowers. You know, you've been, in, uh, you, hey, your man, music has been in movies, right? You just got featured in a film on Hulu slash other places. Um, fire sign you're releasing teaching as well you're you're teaching music with your ebooks for me you as an artist are very 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 underrated in my opinion and that brings me to this point which is i mentioned uh fire sign earlier and having listened to all the tracks i mean the way that you meld all the melodies and the the sounds together it made me think of 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 a question to ask you which is you know, you, you recorded the song in New York, or sorry, you recorded the album in New York, but which song was, oh, well, there's two questions here, really. Which song was the most challenging to work on and which song was the most fun to work on? And were they the same one? Oh, uh, challenging to work on. Mm. In reference to the production. Moonchild. Well, might have been the more challenging one. Was it because yeah. it took more time or because you, you weren't satisfied with it until you hit a certain point? I think I had demoitis on that one. I think I wrote that one in 2016, 2017, the music of it and trying to find the blend between the live acoustic stuff that we, we recorded with the things that I was producing, mm. trying to find that blend. Um, and whether yeah and just yeah that song in general like some I, most of i think i hadn't held onto a song that long before and i think i was like doubting whether i should keep it or how to use it that was one of the ones i was just like i don't know how to finish this one bro i don't know you know other ones don't want to see you actually i did that with this artist i mean this producer his name is nate mercero that was mostly we made that song out here in la um oh. uh, but yeah, but but wrote it and then whoa, I wrote that one in, in, in China last February. Yeah, I was uh, on tour with Marquise and I, we just we were in Beijing and I, I, <laughs> were, were you at like a hot pot restaurant and you're like, you know, let me let me worry about my napkin real quick. Yeah, hot pot though, and it was fire, but no, nah, <laughs> we just 
we were at this Beijing Imperial Suites some hotel and it was fire. Everybody had like, it was bigger than his apartment, man. It was crazy. <laughs> had, a, had, a, had a jacuzzi in there, <laughs> had like a, a whole office, then a, then a sitting room, then a kitchen, full kitchen. I was like, this is crazy. So yeah, in there after like, you know, we were out there for like a week and a half. I just had a bunch of free time and I, and I had already had the music created that I made in January in LA, February I'm on tour. And I just had some downtime, man. Just that's why I wrote that one. At least I recorded the vocals and wrote the lyrics. Um, yeah, so I would say most most fun. Aries and Virgo. We completely improvised those songs. Those uh, those were like each ten minute jams that I was like, oh, I like this part and this part. You know, boom, slice it together. Slice it together. Didn't overthink it too too much because uh, I was like, this band is great. I love everybody in this band. Let's go. And like, I would just start an idea. And they just they just improvised. I didn't say anything. I was like, just hit the red button. So those are the most those were the most fun. Yeah. Oh man, I, I I really suggest anyone listening to to go listen to those tracks. And now that um, you've provided the context for them, I think it makes it even more enriching. You know, because you're like, oh, that's what was happening when they were recording that. That's the story behind the song that's the story behind the music you know with you teaching now writing ebooks as well too yeah for, yeah you're for a long time so this isn't nothing yeah, this is nothing 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 new necessarily <laughs> i would say as of late i've like been faculty over it in a new school for the past couple of years so that is new that's pretty new like where i'm like i have a faculty card and pass and all that stuff that oh you know. professor cook teaching yeah, love play. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but as as you teach students now in addition to obviously you know being able to play music have the ability to improvise and to create their own sound what is a lesson that you want to share with your students and by consequence of their work with people who listen to them what's something i want to share with students about basically as a teacher right um there are certain lessons that you, you teach without knowing that you teach them or you teach them in such a way that it's infused within the lesson itself. So it's not direct, you know, it's not necessarily a matter of do this, do that, but you kind of get the feeling of that. Is there anything like that that you try to provide for your students? Yeah, um, their songwriting classes where I focus a bit more on that and try and show like one, just demonstrate how how I go from an emotion or mood or feeling to an idea, from an idea to a, a song, you know, and try and show that the nexus, like how that starts and all of the little, con like the connecting pieces to get there. Because sometimes people are just like, how? so wait, does it all just come to you? Or do you just think of the melody first or harmony? And then like, depending on how advanced the students are, they start asking me super specific questions. But then I'm just like, let's go back to the root to the emotion and in particular to your emotion like how are you feeling and when do you feel down or feel happy and like what do you go to to go feel that or what songs do you, you know and really look at that look at the mood that you like to get to and let's start let's start there and i think generally with a lot of my students that are all uh, uh, you know theory based which by nature jazz kind of just is because it's just there's a science to it sometimes mm. um, in the art form that yeah we miss that 
So I try and just get tap back into that, the feeling, the emotion. Not, not just what notes to play. Not just the technique. Yeah. I don't know if you experienced that in like in dance, but like when you, when you, when you start, when you surround yourself by like the more advanced students, it's like, man, y'all losing touch with. Yeah. You, you're, you're focused very heavily on not, not the feeling of the move, but the, um, the other more quantifiable metrics, right? Like the number, the, uh, uh, yeah, but that's all part of the same root, which is that feeling at the end of the day. And that's like the, the highest metric that you could, could quantify really is, is feel. That's it. That's it. And I think a lot of producers think that way, man, they, they really do. And I think we can particularly horn players, like I said, just lose sight of that. So that's what I try and teach. Yeah, even that, even as an improviser, not even necessarily just making a song, just that I pick up the horn. This, you'll hear a through line. It's like the choices I make on the sax might be the similar choices I make singing or the same on the flute. And you might get the same feeling on the uh, on the song that I make. And it's like, you hear that through line, like you said, my own flavor, because it's like, I'm always connected to that mood or that feeling that I'm trying to convey. It's like- Rather, rather my, than being attached to the technique or to the note that you that you want to play. Yeah, it's like, yo, that song's my vibe. That's that that makes me feel type of thing, and and it, it informs what things I want to collaborate with and who I want to collaborate with, with who I want to collaborate with. I hear a song Xavier so Omar sent me a song, this song called Bonnie Bonnie Bear that I did over during quarantine, and I was like, man, that's it. It was, and it's a song about like just being sad and not knowing why, and I was like, man, I feel that. I feel that, bro. <laughs> that man, I'm not tripping about. I don't know, like how many notes I'm about to play on this. I was like the feeling and I'm like, yeah, I want to, I understand where you're coming from emotionally on this. And I'm like, I can meet you there. And there's a good symbiotic thing happening there. Cause we're on the same page on the emotion and the mood. We're both all trying to convey. Mm. That's that, a, a different language, but it's, the, it's an important language that we gotta, we can't forget. You know, it reminds me of, um, there's, <laughs> as I was going through your, uh, your YouTube playlists, you know, one of the, my favorite things is to read the uh, the funny commentary on people's work. And um, there's this one that really stuck out to me. It says, uh, Braxton has that cholesterol husk in his voice with none of the actual cholesterol. The Swiss Army knife of music. Um, shout outs to who, uh, whoever wrote that. I didn't write your name, but I feel like that <laughs> is one of the best compliments I could ever hear uh, from somebody <laughs> if i were a singer or a musician you know That's awesome. you got the cholesterol husk without the actual cholesterol man that's really cool but, what a great YouTube, is <laughs> youtube is on one man youtube is youtube is a very interesting place especially with what people choose to uh, they're so witty you know with with how they relate to stuff right again going back to the feeling that comment is a feeling. It's not about the words. You're not thinking about, you know, HDL, LDL levels, you know, of Braxton's voice. You're, you're thinking about the feel of that, what that feels like, right? And, and the, the weight of it, yeah. And I think that's super important as any artist can attest to, which is how do you make people feel, you know, and how do you translate what you feel into what you do, whether that's dance, music, painting, yeah law ceramics whatever it is right mm. 
you know, when, when you think about the lessons you've learned that music has taught you, what are some misconceptions that, um, let's say, uh, general population, people like me who aren't a musician, um, kind of uh, misunderstand or kind of have a misconception of in terms of what the uh, musicians have to offer or what a musician's life is like? Well, first thing what the musicians have to offer, the misconceptions with regard to that, I mean, there are a lot. <laughs> like, uh, the average person might think the louder you play, the better. The faster you play, the better, you know? And I've been in a lot of contexts where I'm like, that's not true, you know? That's, uh, most of the time it's not. But, you know, like, yeah, the average listener, I think, particularly even in a live scenario, it's, our minds are sometimes just built to be so relative. And it's like, well, that was louder. I can hear it, so it must be better, you know? And uh, that's off. That's that's not necessarily true at all. Um, what else? Uh, I mean, I think, you know, so, uh, to some extent, like the, the, the amount of awards that are completely external from the art, but have just been created, you know, to, to rank us that's all BS as well. You know, it's like, it's another, it's yet another institution that's trying to create this metric that art doesn't fit into and it won't. A Grammy, it, it, great, but, but no. So there's that. I think the average listener, they look to those things to be like, is this good? Should I, you know, is this, I don't know what's good. And you can buy into that or not, or you, you know, it's like to something, to some, to some degree, like going to Juilliard was like, I had to deal with that. Cause I'm like, this is the only school my family really knows of or recognized as being good because of what our culture has just done to it. You know, like in film and, and the way that it's put it on a, on a pedestal. Yeah. And it is, don't get me wrong. It's a, you know, some incredible musicians, like savant like people I've met at, at, at Juilliard, but you know what I mean? Like I, I remember that costing that, that like went through my mind in like 18, 19, when I was like thinking about leaving Georgetown and yeah. my parents were like, I don't think so, man. I don't think that's the move. Mm -hmm. um, I'm like, well, Juilliard. And I'm like, oh, we'll see. Got in. And they're like, oh, wow. Okay. And, I, and they could get behind it. You know what I mean? But yeah. I, I don't know it. another name. And that's just real. That's just. That's the reality know, like, of the situation. It's like I'm aware of how other people perceive this. And I know I can either play the game or not play the game. And that's kind of like what it is, but I don't ever lose sight of like the, the intrinsic value that these things give me or that the music gives me. I can have it or I can not have it. You know what I mean? You can get the, you know what I'm saying? Like, but I, I am aware of, of what, it, of its currency in this social world that we live in. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. It, it's, I think it demonstrates a strong sense of, um, strong sense of empathy, right? Because there are some people who really do care about that. And that's something that they aim for. And having that goal makes them better, you know, and it works for them. But for other people, may not matter so much. Maybe it's about how it makes you feel, right? And I think being able to dictate your own standard of success in that regard um, without necessarily taking on this external sense of uh, what it means to be a musician in this context. Um, mm -hmm. But for any, anyone else uh, with artistic ambitions or non-artistic ambitions, right? Um, these awards, these medals, these ceremonies, you know, we, we hold them up to a high value because, you know, someone said that they were good and then we all kind of socially agreed on it in some way. Um, yeah. 
but it's not the end all be all for sure. So that's the, that's the misconception there. And I'm glad that you brought that up because it, it can be very easy to, to silo your mind and think, mm -hmm. oh, that's what's important. Um, but at the end of the day with music, it's about how you feel. It is, man. It is. And, and in addition to that, I feel like early on, I got a sense of what I thought was good. I heard it, you know, I heard what a really good singer was like, and I'm like, dang, I got to practice. You know what I mean? And it's like, it didn't come from those other, those previously mentioned thing, uh, institutions or whatever. It's like, I just, I heard it intrinsically. It's like when you, you fall in love or something, it's like, it just hits you. I didn't need anyone to tell me what looked good or a beautiful woman or a beautiful person. I didn't need that. Yeah. Hit you. Hit me. So. Yeah. That's, that's, I mean, there's a comedic take on that, right? Like you're, when you fall in love, you're not going to look at the accolades, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to look at the Grammy awards of, of love or the, uh, the, uh, the Emmy awards of love or wherever that is, you know? Um, right. I mean, some people do because we're, you know, in our social world now there's Instagram is that, and you can look at that if that's your barometer for what looks good or. It's but it's incre it's incredibly just I mean I hate to, it's just shallow <laughs> at the end of the day like I'm only gonna date you if you have over three hundred thousand followers like what <laughs> you know or I'm if you I can't listen to musicians under twenty k that means your music's no good <laughs> it's just some arbitrary whatever the fuck you know it's it's not necessary <laughs> it's not this this man if this shit could be gone tomorrow bro. Like, who are you? What are you about tomorrow? You know, like, what do you love to do? You know, wake up and do. I, I know what I'm doing. I'm making music. I'm, you know what I mean? It's like, it's real shit, bro. That's all it is at the end of the day. There's, there's not much more to it than that. And we kind of like to layer on elements to kind of explain ourselves or, uh, you know, have more subtext, right, to add to the equation. But, mm. man that deliberate simplicity is something that I admire and something that I've learned in this conversation that we've had. Uh, it's inspiring me to Man, let me know if I'm just like being, if I'm just like be deading all your questions. I don't know. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. This is, this is a great fun conversation for me, man. No lie. Here's another, here's another thing for you. You know, having since moved to LA, Los Angeles, which is not necessarily a food capital, it's not a food city necessarily. There's a good variety, um, but it's not particularly known for anything. But you know, having made the switch from Maryland to Newark, New Jersey, or from sorry, from Maryland to Georgetown to Juilliard to Newark, New Jersey, to now living in Los Angeles, what food? has stayed with you the entire journey? You know, what, what food can you point to that's like, mm, that's, that's home right oh, there for you? I mean, soul food's gone nowhere, bro. My <laughs> family, they're originally from Mississippi, like both of my parents. Oh, dirty, dirty South, baby. Bro, soul food hasn't gone anywhere. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, hell no. Uh, soul, soul food, I, I wish, more non-black people got to experience soul food because it's it's next level man next level yeah, man you gotta have some collard greens bro you gotta have some sweet potato bro we got some mac and cheese we got some fried chicken 
I mean, barbecue to the barbecue all over the world, all the country, different pockets. But yeah, like that's, that's gone nowhere. I would say in addition to that, Mexican food, I've always, I've always loved. And I think LA, you know, I can't, it's got a lot of great tacos, bro. It's got a lot of Mexican food. It's, just like, <laughs> it's hitting, bro. It's hitting. It really is. Um, I mean, yeah, you can find pockets in New York. It's a multicultural city that's got a little bit of everything. Mm. You go to Queens, kind of find the most fire Chinese food, and you go to the Bronx or whatever, and you can just get like, yeah, it's like you, you can find your pockets in New York, which I love. Um, but I think the Mexican food here is, is really pretty fire and cheap. Some people would, would fight you on that. You know, they're going to say San Diego. They're going to say Chicago. They're going to say Mexico, of course. Um, but I, I asked that question because, you know. Mexico. It's great. It's great. It's great. I'm not going to act like L.A. or Cali is better than Mexico. Hell no. <laughs> but uh, of all the different cuisines, I'm like, it's pretty consistently good. Good. Consistently good. Yeah. I asked that question because, you know, on the East Coast, like you said, there, there is that variety that you have, right? D.C., New York, all, all, all throughout that whole entire line. There's a whole chain of things that you could explore. Um, yeah. But the culinary experience is just so multivariate. And mm-hmm. one, one thing that, you know, the listeners might find interesting is, you know, why bring up food now, right? But I think that there's a lot of relationship between music, food, culture, all these things have an intersectional element to them because mm-hmm. they all kind of originate from that same thing, which is feel. You know, people don't eat nutrients, they eat food. The experience of food, especially culturally, I think is an interesting one. What's an unpopular opinion on food that you have? What's a food that most people think is good that you think is bad or vice versa that you think is good that most people is bad? I have a lot of things I think are bad because I mean, bro, look how skinny I am, bro. I'm like, <laughs> it's like I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm p- pretty picky, man. Uh, pretty much any condiment that's white, I'm uh, probably made. <laughs> no 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 mayo no mayo no ketchup no mustard just leave if you're eating the next it's crazy i'm like can you please not do the mayo yeah it's crazy um most condiments to be honest i i'm good on mustard relish yeah i think that's probably a weird take i bet some people are like wait you eat hot dogs as a grown man completely plain yeah completely Burgers are just meat and cheese, if that. Yeah, yeah, meat and cheese, pretty plain. I will throw a lettuce and tomato in there too, because I do like veggies. Love veggies, but it's the condiments and like the sauce and all that. Yeah, can't do it. So no mayonnaise, no bernays, no tartar sauce, no. Yeah, <laughs> none of that. Yeah, yeah, keep, yeah, keep all that. Mm. Um, I'm a wing addict for sure. I love some wings. It's wings and beer, wings and something. Love wings. You got a problem with that? A problem with wings? Well, I, I'm, you and my, you and I might have to fight at the barbecue because I'm a rib guy, and people like to fight between the ribs and the wings a lot. You know what I'm saying? I feel that. I feel that. That's funny, bro. I like ribs too. I ain't got no problem with ribs, ribs, chicken, and all, all that. Love it. Love it. Mm. I'm about to give me an air fryer, to be honest, man. We get this. Do some light, light fried wings. Um, what? Else? Oh, uh, I, I mean, I. I love sushi now. I used to not like it, but was, uh, I'm trying to think something else weird. I, mm, I eat jars of peanut butter. Um, is that weird? Is that 
I like love you, like you, like you just scoop it out of the. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Got Jiffy right over here. Yeah. <laughs> Is Jiffy your brand? Nah, I'm not. I'm not partial to anything. I don't nah, care. Just what, whatever. Is just whatever. I don't like runny, runny, like the super, like um, Whole Foods, whatever. You know, like the healthy versions, and it's just covered with a layer of oil this thick. That I'm just like, what is all that? Hmm. I'm good. <laughs> and it's probably better for you or whatever, but no, I want the process. It's not. It's not. It's not kicking for you. Skippy, mm. basic butter. Mm, yeah. That the kind of chunky kind, right? Exactly, man. I try to get my protein in, you know, I don't want to just like fuck around and lose weight because it just happens too easily out here. So yeah, I try to get my protein in. So I'm like, yeah, actually I do be like looking at how many grams. <laughs> 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 um, dang, I don't know. How about you, bro? You got anything weird like that? My girl doesn't eat melted cheese. My wife, she doesn't like melted cheese. I think that's crazy. I was like, what? No melted cheese? Wait, pizza? Like, what? So, so yeah, so basically no pizza. Oh yeah, like, but no mac and cheese too. I'm like, but sometimes she will do it. So like, I think that's crazy because I'm just like, what is it? Either you do or you don't. Yeah, <laughs> is it? Is it? I'm, I want to get pinpointed the specifics here. Is it cheese that's melted or? Because she, oh. she's okay with cheese. Yeah, she bro. We get pasta. She's like, yeah, it's cracked parmesan and cheese, please. And I, and it, she loves the parmesan. I think it's like the texture of that stringy cheese, depending on how it looks. Oh, oh. So some mac and cheese look like that on the top and she's like, no. Got you. You know, for me, I have to, uh, I have to really think about what food I find that's not that great. Um, I can't eat ketchup. I'm allergic to ketchup as a fun fact. Yeah, it's weird. I get, I get hives and I don't know why. It's not the tomato, but some something in ketchup um maybe the combination me too fruit. I'm, i forgot i'm allergic to skin on fruit to to what to what on fruit ends on fruit i don't know if it's oh. like a, i don't know but you yeah. get hives as well that like that thing oh you know oh that kind of feeling yeah um, yeah so. there's um i'm vietnamese but there's a um there's a vietnamese dish dish that i think is it's good, but I think there's stuff that's better. Um, and it's become a lot more popular in recent years. Um, it's pho. I don't know if you've tried it or not. Um, it's a noodle, it's a beef noodle soup. Um, and I'm probably gonna get chastised by my own community for this, but I think there are a lot of other foods that are better than that. <laughs> um, it's good though. It's good. Don't get me wrong. It's great, but there's there's other stuff. Um, <laughs> like other types of foods or just like other things within the Vietnamese cuisine? Other other things within the Vietnamese cuisine and soups that I think are pretty good. And soups. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I have my preference of soups. Yeah, sometimes it could be watery, and I'm like, okay, it's a big. This is fifteen dollars for a big old, big old uh, bowl of water, and that's that's, yeah, love, that's not love, what you want. Yeah, I've had that, and I'm been like, why do we have to fill this with sriracha and all this other stuff? You know, it should just be flavorful off junk. I gotta I gotta take you to the best spot, man. That's what we got to do. We got to go out to to go get the best, best Vietnamese food for you. It's like Vietnamese soul food, you know? Wow, that would be sick. It's like Eastside? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a secret spot. I don't like to, to give it away too much. Oh, you know? Okay, we got to exchange numbers, man, after this. Then, shit. Yeah, yeah but right. is there anything else food-wise that you were thinking about? Oh, right. The, my weird, the weird stuff? Oh, uh... 
I don't know. Not really. I'm growing. I'm growing out of fish. I'm growing out of cheese. Mm. But I just don't sit as well with my stomach. Uh, shellfish as well too. Shrimps and stuff. Mm. And it's messed up. But I love gumbo and I love my seafood. <laughs> but I'm like, dang, I don't know what's. That hurt. That hurts my heart. That <laughs> hurts my heart to hear oh, you say I'm that. Like, it's like the shell. I don't know. I don't know. I hope <sighs> it's nothing. I hope it's not an allergy I'm like developing late in life. But uh, Ho- hopefully not, because Cajun food, anything from that region is just you, you need that in your life. You know, you do. You definitely do. I'm expecting gumbo next week. I'm going to go back, you know, go see her. Mom. We'll go see Willie, just her mom. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, to close off the conversation, you know, not only to, to musicians, but now that we've kind of taken this roundabout look at not only your life and your creative process, um, kind of went through the journey of food as well. You know, to anybody who wants to play music, to anybody who wants to, I guess, embark on a creative endeavor of some sort, you know, what is one thing you would say to those people? Oh, um, this kind of speaks to life. We were just talking about this with my brother and um just like be have fun you know find a happy place where you are music wherever you start is that's fine you know but find that fun like childlike space you know that flow or whatever and just try and stay there and just you'll be shocked by the progress i think that you get in that space as opposed to just like attacking it almost like like a like a sport there is that there is there are elements of getting better like like that you know reps i guess like you just got to do this many front kicks and this many side kicks and you got to do this many scales for this amount like there is that that will come but i think in the beginning just stay in the flow state the fun state you know where you're where you lose track of time that space at whatever skill level just live in there as long as you can you know words of wisdom right there for those who are looking forward to your newest work or where they can you know keep up with you where can they do so uh i mean you can go to braxtoncook.com where you can find most of this but i think you know apple music and spotify you can stream all my music my most recent project is fire sign came out march 27th and go check that out and you know since then since march there's a tiny desk that I did at home. That's cool. It's on NPR's channel. You can check that out on YouTube. And then I've written a whole nother project that I'm hopefully uh, shooting to aiming to finish by the end of this year. Uh, so by, you know, 2021, hopefully spring, we'll have that project out or summertime. And then maybe there'll be some shows. Fingers crossed. We will see. We will, we see. will see. And I, I can't wait to be there. One of them shows, you know, it's going to be, yeah. it's going to be fire. Yeah. We'll do something definitely out here in LA since I'm living here. Something chill, socially distance, and like oh. I'm sure sometime next year. Yeah, something. that'll be that'll be really cool. Well, thank you, Braxton, for being on the show. Out. Oh.